Hey everyone, you're listening to Die Logos, a Harker Philosophy Club podcast. I'm Akshay. I'm Sophia. Jack. And I'm Rupert. So today we'll be talking about Phineas and Ferb, which happens to be a lot of people's favorite childhood show. This show basically centers around Phineas and Ferb, who are two boys that spend their summer building fun inventions with their friends. Their sister, Candace, tries to bust them and show their mom what they're up to, but she basically almost never succeeds. Meanwhile, the boys have a pet platypus named Perry, who is actually a secret agent who spends his time fighting an evil scientist named Dr. Doofenshmirtz. Perry usually defeats Doofenshmirtz, and everything goes back to normal by the end of the episode. That's basically the structure of a typical episode, and we're going to dive into some of the philosophical implications um, from anarchism to time travel to Nietzsche to pretty much everything in between. So I guess we can start with talking about anarchism. Um, for a children's show on Disney XD, this has a surprising amount of uh, anarchist or anarchist-related uh, philosophy. So in general, uh, the philosophy of anarchism thinks that there can be a desire for authority within people and that um, almost all examples of authority or power consolidation are bad. So things like the existence of a state or a government or like centralization of power, all of those things are bad um, and usually result in like net more violence. And so critiques of anarchism say that there should, that power should be diffuse, that, it, it, that um, we should be in like local organizations people should be in charge of what they do themselves there shouldn't be like an overarching government um and a kind of corollary for this for like how people think or people's psychology is that sometimes people will become accustomed to the kind of centralization to the kind of power that exists so people get used to the existence of a governor get used to the existence of a state and because of that they start to desire it they start to desire the sense of normalcy or security that exists um and they like it and they want to preserve it and so this is how anarchists kind of explain why uh, the state still um, stays around, even when it can result in violence. And so that's basically the perspective of a lot of anarchist theorists. And so there's actually uh, a fair amount of criticism of both the idea of anarchism, but also of the things that an anarchism criticizes. Um, there's a fairly famous song in Phineas and Ferb called Give Me a Grade, um, sung by Balji, the Indian uh, member of like Phineas and Ferb's friend group. And the, the whole kind of premise of the song is that he went to the summer camp about rock, um, except like he did all the work for the summer camp, but they're not going to actually give him a grade. Like nothing in the summer camp is graded. And he finds this out at the end, right before the big performance. And he gets really mad. And he's like, I can't believe I did all this work for no grade. And then he starts like to rock out, but he's singing, give me a grade. Uh, and so like, obviously rock is very well known for being this kind of like anarchist, like symbol resisting authority um rage against the machine all that sort of things and so this is kind of a, a joke or it's kind of ironic that he's arguing that he's arguing for the system or that he needs the system to give him a grade um even though it's a rock song and there's actually like there's literally anarchist symbols present where in the background there's like an a plus that's shown but the a is like the anarchist symbol it's like a, a spray painted a it's not like a, a regular typefaced a and so there's like an obvious reference to anarchism here and to the idea of anarchism. Uh, and they're kind of pointing out the idea that he, that Balji can use this, like this, th this medium that's used for kind of resistance um, to authority and actually use it to argue for more authority. Um, another kind of example of anarchist critique in the, in the series is actually the figures of Phineas and Ferb. Uh, if you mentioned in the, if you remember from the summary, Phineas and Ferb are constantly tried to uh, get busted 
uh, by their sister Candace, who tries to like enforce the authority of her parents so that they can't do anything fun uh, and kind of stifle their creativity. And there's actually a kind of there's a an episode where they get busted and where they go into like juvie and their spirit gets totally crushed. It's basically like jail. Um, and so there's basically the the show writers kind of analogize um, them getting busted to literally being jailed by the state. And so you can consider then what they do to be kind of form a form of anarchism or kind of working against that structure. Um, although at the same time, w- with all of that, the show also does make fun of anarchists or kind of these like punk rock emo uh, edgy teenagers. So there, there's like there's a song where uh, Doofenshmirtz, who's like the evil scientist, he ends up in this like uh, emo stage where they're playing punk rock and his hands end up getting glued to the to the discs and Perry remote controls him using this like device. And so he becomes like a great DJ and he sings a song about how platypus is controlling him. And the joke is he's literally there's a platypus literally controlling him with a, a remote control. But all of like the, the emo people are like, oh, it's a metaphor for the government, for schools. A government is controlling me. A platypus is controlling me. And so they're kind of making fun of the idea that people read too much into all of these metaphors, kind of like what we're doing right now, um, that it can just be as simple as a platypus controlling you and not really the, the state doing you any harm or anything like that. But, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a brief survey of anarchism. Uh, speaking of emo people, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite, Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche. Okay, so basically, um, I'm not going to suggest that the creators had any intention of Nietzschean ideology slipping into a children's show, but I'm going to show how um, Phineas and Ferb can be construed as extremely Nietzschean. So who is this edgelord? Who is Friedrich Nietzsche? Um, He was a German philosopher who his philosophy is based on the death of God. Basically, he believed that there were two plagues um, kind of denigrating modern European society, one being uh, conventional morality and the other being nihilism. He believed the latter was a um, symptom of the former. So he believed that in the modern day, people had very little to live for and hated themselves because of these two factors believe that they no longer had faith in God or any higher power and morality um, didn't give them the tools to affirm themselves any longer. He proposed a couple of solutions. They differ a little bit throughout his career, but he's very well known for um, the concepts of Amor Fati and the Ubermensch. Amor Fati is essentially loving one's fate. It, the litmus test for this is if you uh, have this thought experiment where you believe that you would be condemned to live your life over and over and over again, would you laugh happily or would you cry tears of joy? So it's about loving your life, doing what you want, etc. That's the gist of Amor Fati. The Ubermensch is an individual who rises above conventional morality, does what they want, does what affirms them, um, does not look to others for approval, but instead listens to what they want and uses it to create. I think that uh, Phineas is a good representation of a kind of sovereign individual or ubermensch that Nietzsche advocated for because he fights both nihilism and he doesn't really care about 
conventional morality in the way that his sister does. Uh, and therefore, he makes his life kind of great. While his sister is trying to bust him or catch him or um, tear his creations down, he makes something beautiful, uh, not out of any kind of drive to prove himself to other people, not out of any sort of kind of moralistic drive that people think he should, but because he really enjoys creativity. Uh, he enjoys letting his friends engage with his creations and thereby kind of makes a meaning for himself, a meaning to life. And he avoids both nihilism and the kind of self-hatred that Nietzsche was worried about. Candace, on the other hand, she's less happy. She's more nihilistic. She bases her entire existence off of tearing down her brothers, of trying to bust them and trying to get them in trouble and trying to hurt them, essentially. Uh, she's kind of symptomatic of what Nietzsche would call a slave morality, which is based on when people feel inferior, they essentially laugh, lash out um, at those who are having more fun than them and those who are more capable than them and trying to use any means of their possession uh, to hurt them. So I think Candace is pretty exemplary of this type of morality. Um, Nietzsche makes an important distinction that the Ubermensch or the sovereign individual doesn't really care um, about the slaves' morals um, and instead rises rises above them. And I think we see that in the show with Phineas's indifference to Candace's attempts to bust him. He wishes no malice upon his sister, and that's really important. He does not wish revenge upon his sister. He does not wish she should die, but she, but he still causes her some pain just by being himself. Um, a lot of people kind of misinterpret Nietzsche and think that he says that the strong should just dominate the weak uh, and whatnot, but that's missing kind of this key component that the Ubermensch uh, is focused on themselves and focused on indulging in their own creativity um, and would not lash out. So I think it's a pretty like positive, it's a pretty good and a pretty positive example of what Nietzsche was going for, in my opinion. So as Sophia said, um, Candace kind of based her entire identity on uh, trying to bust Phineas and Ferb. Um, and similarly, uh, Perry the Platypus spends his time trying to um, bust Doofenshmirtz. Um, so it kind of raises the question of whether uh, these two pairs of opposites, whether they need each other. Um, and we kind of see, see a dynamic growing um, over the course of the show, where um, sometimes uh, Doofenshmirtz wins um, and he outsmarts uh, Perry the Platypus, but then he's sad. Um, and sometimes uh, Perry comes late to try to um, defeat Doofenshmirtz, and then he gets offended because of um, Perry's tardiness. So... Um, it's kind of uh, interesting to see how each person relies on the other, um, even though they're opposites, they rely on the other in order for their plans to work and in order to feel the sense of fulfillment that they get. So these foils to each other um, ultimately build each other up more than they detract from each other. All right, so to go into the more outlandish aspects of Phineas and Ferb that I'm sure people enjoy as well, um, one of the things we can talk about is the use of time travel, especially in the finale. Um, in the finale, Doofenshmirtz creates this device called the Do-Overinator, which allows him to kind of reset um, the day, kind of like a Groundhog's Day scenario. 
though he fails for like the first few attempts to catch, try to catch Perry, every time he re- he resets the time loop, he figures out or he realizes, okay, this is what Perry's going to do, or this is the way the world's going to do, and eventually he ends up, I believe, winning. He does end up, I think, destroying the duovernator kind of tied to the binary relation he has with Perry, but. Aside from that, the idea that like you can reset the world, that there can be such a device that resets the world and everything kind of follows the exact same, same pattern is kind of very closely tied to the um, idea of determinism, which is kind of the idea that like your fate's kind of already set and everything's going to happen the way it's always it was always going to happen. Um, in application to like the world and physical matter, like maybe like a tree falling down or something like that, you can tie this, you can justify this with the use of classical mechanics, which would allow you by itself to um, basically, with a sufficiently powerful, I guess, computer, be able to accurately predict everything about the world just based on these conditions that we know about it now, which would suggest a deterministic nature of the universe. An equivalent idea for people or what people can do, and I guess this, in this case, Perry would be the idea of if the world was deterministic, usually that implies a lack of free will because you can't really choose what you're actually going to do because what you're doing, your actions are are basically prescribed by how the universe is going to go. And there are some attempts at reconciliation between determinism and free will, but for the most part, free will is regarded as kind of incompatible with the idea of determinism. However, one physical argument against determinism is the invocation of quantum mechanics. Um, the idea is that basically there are some values and properties that you can't accurately predict 100% of the time. There are some non-deterministic probabilities that seem to only unearth themselves when they're observed and that don't seem to be deterministically um, predictable. And if that was the case for the world, which it might imply that the world is not deterministic because it's, there's a probability that it might turn out a different way. And the show does kind of actually um, play a little bit with this idea, the idea that the world can turn out in different ways depending on which ways the quantum, um, I guess, values kind of just reveal themselves. And with the idea of this second dimension, where Phineas and Ferb and the other people go to this other dimension where everything's different, like um, Doofenshmirtz is somehow competent and they rule the world. And this idea that this second dimension exists would imply the existence of this kind of many worlds theory, which is the idea that um, every time there's some kind of quantum event that could have multiple different values, it's not just one that's chosen as the reality. All of them are kind of create this branching kind of tree of different realities based on different quantum events. And the, the existence of the second dimension therefore implies that that this is one this is a true theory because and the second dimension is one where this where the quantum events revolve, involving in the creations of a say Doofenshmirtz and maybe Phineas depending on how they're altered is slight was a result of a different quantum evaluation than the original first dimension. Awesome. Uh, so to wrap up, I encourage y'all to rewatch some of the shows from your childhood with an adult lens, look back and see kind of what commentary they had uh, to see what ideas they played with and to look for their intellectual influences. Because usually children's media is deeper than our young minds can understand. Um, And I just encourage you all to look into it. Yeah, Phineas and Ferb is actually well known for being a a TV show that didn't try and dumb things down for their audience, but they kind of kept a lot of the uh, adult ideas. And so uh, there's some nostalgia in watching it, even if you're a first time uh, person rewatching it. Um, It it can be really interesting. We'll put in the show notes um, 
some of some links to some of the videos or some of the music songs that we kind of referenced. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much our podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. If you have any ideas for future podcasts or you want to join our podcast, then um, feel free to email us at harkerphilosophyclub at gmail.com. We've had past uh, guest contributors on the podcast and we want to have those in the future as well. Um, feel free to like, subscribe, share this with your friends. Um, if you want to join our Discord or have more discussions, send us an email. Uh, and thank you for listening.